what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. With me, as always, not across the table this time. I'm actually talking virtually with my co-host. Uh, it is Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm uh, excited to uh, talk to someone else besides someone in my immediate family. Um, of course, you know, I, I love my family, but being quarantined with them does have its pluses and minuses. 24-7 can, can still be a little much, no matter what the case. But, uh, of course, as you probably are, are recognizing as you listen to this, we may sound a little different than normal. Uh, we are doing another quarantine edition of Foot Candle Films, both of us calling in from our respective home locations. and uh, But we are still committed to talking about films and reviewing films. And even though the movie theater business right now is pretty much non-existent on the theater side, we're at least still treated to some films that are coming available online. And that's what we'll be focusing our attention on today as we do review two new films that are both available online for your home viewing during these interesting times. Uh, we'll be having a couple movie reviews. We're going to do our some news, although I'll just go ahead and warn everybody in advance, not a whole lot of movie news to talk about simply because every movie you are anticipating or under production has been halted or delayed or pushed back on a schedule. But there's still a few interesting things to note, and we'll talk about that when we get to our news section. And then we'll have our recommendations for the episode. Chris and I always like to give at least a recommendation of a film we think would be worth checking out on your own home time. Uh, now that everybody seems to have a little more of it than they maybe did a few weeks ago, that's a great time for catching up on some films or uh, letting us help you with some recommendations of ones you may want to check out. Chris, we have two films we'll be reviewing, as I mentioned, uh, both of them available online. Both are ones people can watch the minute they listen to this podcast. We'll be first discussing the film The Hunt, which has a little bit of an interesting backstory in terms of timing. It was initially supposed to have been out, I think, late or last year, mm -hmm. got delayed because of some of the content, uh, violent content of the film and subject, subject matter based on some uh, events that were happening in, uh, in history at that time. Did get released, but didn't last in the theaters very long because they yanked it uh, when the theaters uh, shut down and made it available to rent on a first-run basis. So we'll be discussing The Hunt, and then we'll be moving on to a second review, which is a film that just went straight to online uh, delivery. It is a, uh, we'll call it science fiction fantasy mind-bender called Vivarium. So Chris, are you ready to get started with our first review? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First review is going to be the film The Hunt. Oh! Hey! What is happening? What is all of this? Did you see that article? Every year, these liberal elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us 
and hunt us for sport. The last I heard, free speech still exists. Don't First Amendment me. It wasn't real. We were joking. There's been a killing spree. You gotta come here right now. You actually believed we were hunting human beings for sport. But you are. We have an opportunity here to teach these people. These are not real people. They're actors. I'm playing an Arab refugee, but I identify as white. I think that's problematic too, in some way. You wanted it to be real, so you decided it was. kind of sick people would even think of something like that? White people. We're the worst. Alan, as you alluded to in your intro, this film has had quite the bumpy ride making it to the big screen. It was originally scheduled for release in September of 2019. It was pulled by Universal after Dayton and El Paso shootings. Just prior to being pulled, the film had received interesting buzz, both positive and negative, from press screenings that it had because of political content. President Trump actually tweeted on August 9th, writing, the movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. The film was finally released March 13th. Due to the coronavirus-related theater closings, it was digitally online just a week later, and that's how you and I have been able to watch it. Alan, was your experience with The Hunt that tells the story of 12 individuals rounded up and hunted for sport Anywhere near the roller coaster ride that was this film's release schedule, or is that the only thing of note with this satire slash thriller slash action movie? Um, I, okay, I, I will say I think the film does have some elements that live up to the hype that it was garnering. I think there's some. I think the concepts of this film, and I think the overall intention of the film, is definitely. Uh, noteworthy and I think worthy of discussion. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like its execution doesn't quite live up to its promise and doesn't quite live up to uh, the the overall high concept that it tries to tout. Um, I can go into more details on that as we get in a little further, but I, I will say I generally had a decent time with this film. I didn't walk around hating it, but I also didn't feel like it was a a complete winner. I will say the concept on its own, the concept of the film, and it is this just kind of a, as a quick little summary of the kind of generally the plot, I guess, you know, without giving away any spoilers in this film, uh, you do follow initially onset of 12 strangers who all wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are. Don't know how they got there. And then you start to learn that there's a dark internet conspiracy theory that has brought these people together and now they're being hunted for for sport. Now the film goes deeper than that, but uh, I guess my challenges and my problem with the film is that I love the setup and I love what they try to reveal and the twist that follow later in the film, where you start to see that there's maybe a little bit more to this story than than what you were initially led to believe. But I just felt like the execution of it just was really flawed. I, I felt like that impact that some of these twists and turns and the bigger higher concepts should have had could have been a lot uh, let better handled. And I just felt like it by the end, I, I felt like it was a little sloppy in the last uh, half of the film 
and just didn't deliver quite the payoff I was hoping for, given the initial setup. So with that being said, I, I'm mixed on the film. I will say I, it was a it was a good way to pass an hour and a half, but uh, I do feel like I could have gotten a lot more out of it, given such a what I thought was a pretty great high concept to begin with. Chris, what's your what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, you know, you're, I'm not sure what except for the actual ending of the film um, and maybe a little bit that's revealed there. I'm unsure as to far how much would actually be spoilers because I can't remember how much is actually kind of revealed in the trailer about what essentially is going on. But I think it's yeah. safe to say because it kind of shows you in the opening minutes. Kind of the theory behind it is there are the people that are rounded up are kind of lean towards the conservative spectrum of politics. And those that are hunting them are the liberal people that lean towards that end of the spectrum of politics. So it kind of sets up that dynamic that these people are going around hunting people for sport because they disagree with them politically. Um, like you said, very interesting um, kind of concept for a film. And, you know, obviously, if you couldn't guess by the trailer, it is extremely violent. It was like if Quentin very. Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino would take on this type stuff because kind of cartoonish violence at some point, like just, you know, ridiculous amounts of blood and sometimes gleefully done violence, especially very very gory. And uh, yes, but, but it's reveling in it. It it knows what it's doing and it's, it's, it's not afraid to to go as deep as it goes on the violent spectrum. Right. It's totally not turning away. There's kind of a hunger game sequence at the very beginning when they kind of wake up in a clearing and all run for some weapons and the outcome of that is, you know, probably exactly like what you'd expect. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was unsure. Like, you know, the poster for this film says the most talked about the year of the movie is one that nobody's actually seen because that was kind of their promotional campaign before it was released in March. Um, I think the thing is, although I can see why some people hate this movie and would never want to give it a chance because I understand it is, you know, ridiculously violent. I think there is a kernel of interesting like I guess truth or entertainment value in the fact that, you know, people have these polarizing opinions and instead of trying to work something out, they just kind of go at one another. Um, So it is, it's an interesting satire, but I would agree that maybe the execution to kind of soften its message, I guess, in the end, maybe could have been handled better. Um, I will say too that the director of this, we've reviewed, I think we've reviewed, we've at least talked about another movie that he made, Compliance, which was oh, right. a very mm-hmm. interesting movie that, you know, basically it takes these, this idea of all these phone calls that were made to this restaurant, like making the employees do all these things with somebody who was basically, it was like a prank call, but they end up doing things that are just despicable. And at some point in the film, you're kind of put in the place of those people and you're like, well, I would never do something. I would never do something like what these people are doing. And then through the events of the film, you realize, wait a second, I shouldn't be judging these people because of what's going on. Like, and so with this film, you're kind of the same way you start off thinking, Oh, this is all ridiculous. And then, you know, you realize, okay, I see kind of a point that he's trying to go here for. So maybe not executed as well as it was done in that maybe compliance, but yeah, no, I thought Compliance was a much better movie. And this one, this one, I'm just afraid that I think the, I think the overall impact of the message and, you know, you set it up pretty well. I think the trailers say the same thing you gave in your, your kind of your summary there. Uh, I will say there's some adjustments to the plot. Sure. 
um, about you know two thirds of the way through, where you start to maybe learn things are maybe a little different than what was initially led to believe, and it also does cause you to kind of question more whose side you're on, right. to some degree. So I get what they're trying to do, and I guess that's the thing that's a little disappointing for me with this film. Is I totally get it. I get what they're trying to convey. I get what they're trying to share, sure. and I love the fact that his films seem, seem to be something where, like you said, it's going to put the question on the viewer to say what would you do in this situation or where, what side would you fall on? And you may think you're on one side, but could you honestly not believe that maybe you're on the other side? And this film does a, tries to do that too. It's just not as effective. And I think it revels too much in the violence and the fight scenes and the gore. And it, it just doesn't ratchet down on that concept to really make this a really interesting film as it is. It loses the interest and it just becomes a, Gorefest. an action thriller. Yeah. A action yeah. thriller yeah mm -hmm. i will say some of the fight scenes i enjoyed i actually think there's a there's a end fight scene in a kitchen that's yes. really fun and i you could tell the actors involved are just having a blast with it um and they really ate it up and just i thought both of them really really played that fight scene really well so it's definitely entertaining i just by that point i'd kind of given up on the premise and given up on the messaging of the film and just said all right i'm just gonna I'm just going to munch on my popcorn and just watch the fights. And, uh, you know, that's a shame because I think this film could have been a lot more. Well, I think, yeah, kind of what you're saying, yeah, the fight scenes do kind of, you know, the, the violence does tend to be kind of like a, like a sideshow type thing. And you kind of just tune it out after some point. But I agree that the end fight scene, they had kind of a climactic fight scene. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really, was good. really good. And I yeah. think, I and it was if, fun too. I, mean, I just think, you know, it was just a, it was a little tongue in cheek. It was a little play off the, the tropes that we're normally seeing in these action movies where two people just are going at each other for, you know, a long extended period and uh, yeah, just kind of having fun with it. So well, I think, what did you think of the, uh, I, I'm, what did you think of the two actors The I, I'd say the two leads and, and by them it's Betty Gilpin. Um, and then you've got Hillary Swank, Betty Gilpin, uh, probably best known for Glow, the TV show on Netflix that she's been in for the last uh, couple seasons uh, or two or three seasons. And then Hilary Swank, obviously been around for quite a while, Oscar winner, actress, uh, has not done as much lately in the last several years. So what do you think about those two and kind of the, the lead roles they performed? Yeah, I was I was impressed with uh, Betty Gilpin. Um, I Like you mentioned, I've only seen her in Glow. So mm -hmm. um, I wasn't really aware of her. Another thing, she, she's had small roles, but I wasn't really aware of her. And um, I didn't think this was a very, like, you know, pretty much every character I feel like in Glow is kind of, you know, larger than life because they're like this big personality. And it's very, I don't know, a very specific type of character they're doing. And here in The Hunt, I mean, she's playing a certain type of role as well, but I don't know, I felt like it was more generic. And I found her... I don't know. I think she is kind of one of the characters you end up kind of pulling for, I guess, if you could say that. Um, but just, I, I thought she did a really good job. I was kind of surprised. You know, it's a very, a very different type of role. I felt like in a way for her, um, even though I haven't seen that many roles, but it was just, it was very opposite of glow like this, or at least I thought it was. Um, so I thought she did a really good job. Um, Hillary Swank, um, kind of the same type thing, except ranked or ramped up to like 11. Um, because, yeah, I'm familiar with her from, like, Boys Don't Cry or Million Dollar Baby, both of which she won Academy Awards for. Um, 
I don't believe I've ever actually ever seen her in something that could be considered a a horror comedy thriller or whatever. Like, because there are funny elements in this too that they use for like shock value. And she, like you had mentioned, she seems to be having a great time. <laughs> and uh, well, I thought it yeah, was, I thought it was cool I, to see her. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen her or can't recall her being in anything so pulpy and so uh, genre driven film. Right. And I felt like she was really eating it up. I, I think she plays evil pretty, pretty well. Um, I think she does a good job with that. Uh, and, and what could be seen by the end of the film is a somewhat of a, com- a more complex role than maybe it's led on to believe initially. Um, Betty Gilpin, I did like, and I think she's definitely got the makings for an action hero. I know that's what they're trying to probably position her as. Um, she just has the look and, and I think she can give off the intensity to be a really great action hero. I, I just, there's a few times I'm, I was really questioning. I'm not quite sure what she was going for in terms of some dialogue and some really. scenes, conversations she had with some other characters. I, uh, I don't know how much of it was going tongue in cheek and how much of it was just bizarre line readings, but, uh, I, I thought she played what she was given really well. I just, I'm afraid she was given some really interesting moments to play with um there's a scene in a bunker i just remember where she's having dialogue with a few characters and i remember at one point just saying i don't know what she's doing right now (laughs) so i'm not quite sure but uh and i think she was an interesting character it definitely kept my interest no matter what sure and i think um interesting to know too that the writers on this are some people that were responsible for lost nick hughes and damon lindelhoff so, you know, the whole twisting and making things not exactly what they seem and putting people in situations where they kind of act out their worst or, you know, desires or not desires, but just impulses, I guess you should say. Um, yeah, it, I think it was really high concept, but something about, you know, I'll actually tend it or turn it towards like with the subject matter being what it is and giving it an R rating. You know, it's kind of like they figured, how can we get butts in seats? And the way to get the butts in seats was to ramp up the violence. And Mm -hmm. if they'd been able to, like, ramp down, I'm not saying make it PG-13, but I'm just saying make the R come from situational and the mind bender aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I think you and I would have been, you know, probably would have liked it better. But as it was, it was like you're saying, it was more of the big budget or like, you know, just kind of popcorn movie, like turn your brain off, laugh at some stupidity, watch a bunch of stuff blow up. But because the subject matter is really tough to kind of do that. (laughs) Well, it it was. And again, and just when you feel like it's just going to roll with this, I mean, it really is not a spoiler here. It's just the whole most dangerous game kind of take off on the, uh, the classic short story of just people being hunted. And that's really what the concept of the film is. Um, the minute you get so wrapped up in just this idea of these people are being hunted, when they do start to slowly and slightly introduce some other little interesting plot elements on the backstory, by that point, I felt like it's gotten too muddied and it just wasn't, didn't resonate. And they're just like, okay, we told you what the deal is. Now let's go back to the action and kicking and fighting and punching and all that. <laughs> so that right. was just the little bit of the disappointing for me. Cause when, they started to reveal a little more information. I actually kind of got my interest peaked a little bit more. And then it just kind of forgot about it and just said, all right, let's just go back to the action. So um, again, I had an okay time with the film. I, you know, it's not one I'm going to like strongly recommend anybody, 
but I think you could do worse for an hour and a half to watch it if you can at least stomach the violence and gore that goes along with it. Well, um, let me ask you this. Um, yeah. We're kind of wrapping up, but I'm, I'm curious, and I think you already kind of you know showed your hand about how you feel about it, but you know, one of the original things that you first started hearing about this movie is, was, you know, going to be very, you know, inflammatory and it was going to incite, you know, people to just do bad things. It was kind of like people warning how bad of a movie it was dangerous to put out or whatever, which, you know, could be marketing, you know, marketing tools anyway. But do you feel like overall this movie tried to show the good of both sides across the political divide and tried to like, or do you think it was its only intent was to like make everybody on both sides both sides mad? I guess. Do you feel like it, or do you feel like um, it was? I think it was trying to be clever and saying, "Hey, we're going to show you a premise of a film, and you're going to walk in thinking it's all about because we hate these people and these people are bad and these other people are good." But oh, actually, we're kind of showing you that maybe maybe things aren't like you see. I, I just don't feel like they executed well enough for it to really make an impact. So I don't, I think it's actually so watered down in that concept that I don't think anybody's going to come away from this feeling offended, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, I guess a good and a bad thing. It's good right. from an entertainment value. It's bad in that it's not really doing anything daring or interesting. In the it's end. not really challenging, challenging you to think about the sides and what got the people in this film to that point. Right. I mean, I get that they're trying to make a, a point not only about the political divide of our country, but also the power of messaging and whether that messaging is true or not. I know that's what they were ultimately trying to get to. It's kind of this online culture of people spewing uh, misinformation and all that. I know that's ultimately where they were trying to go. And I feel like there was maybe three minutes of the whole film focused on that. And that's it. And if that was really played out more and, and really showed the impact, I think it could have been a little more interesting. So um, again, it's tough to not talk about without spoiling it, but I think, I think the film, I think the story, again, I can probably credit the original writers more for having a pretty interesting concept idea. I just think by the time it got to the camera and shooting, they figured like they had to kind of water that stuff down and let's just go for, let's just go for action. Yeah. So, I um, agree. A little disappointing, but again, uh, yeah, it, it still didn't make for a bad film, just made for a, a less satisfying than I think anybody ultimately tried to do with this. Well, and something I would say, as far as being political too, which, you know, some of the statements they make about, you know, both Democrats and Republicans or liberals and conservatives, you know, are, are valid. Um, and I'll say that at least it made me, I felt like it was trying to be more I guess, balanced than something like um, Vice that we saw about the Dick Cheney oh, yeah. thing. So, you know, it's like, you know, which I understand, you know, Big Short was better than that. But, you know, but it's like, I understand movies that want to have, be joking or have some other idea, but make political points. But this one was at least, I felt like, and it was still obviously very much popcorn entertainment, but I think it, it at least tried to balance things out, I felt like. Again, I felt like the balancing was in the script, and I think sure. the script is probably that. pretty sharp for this. Um, I just just don't think it translated completely. So. The one the other thing I'll say, I'll give another like, uh, something on, on the like column for this film. Okay. Uh, and again, not trying really not to be spoilery with this, but 
there were some there are some big name actors in this film. Well, I say big name, but names that I knew and recognized was kind of looking forward to seeing them in this film. Emma Roberts uh, is in the film. Ike Barinholtz, who uh, mostly a TV actor, but he has been in a few. I think he was in the uh, the One Sisters with Tina Fey and uh, uh, somebody else, Amy Poehler, uh, a few years ago. So he's a little up and coming, and I've seen him a lot more in TV. These are both two actors. I saw the names attached, and you know they're high on the IMDb page on the cast. I will say I thought the film played it kind of interesting to not let them be this, the big name stars in the film. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, if that makes any sense to anybody. So uh, really at the end of the day, it's, it's the two people we just mentioned and they had a lot of other names to, to play with. And they did some interesting things with those characters that uh, I, I give them some credit for, you know, that was, that was good. I, even when I watched the trailer after watching the movie, I don't know why the, I saw the trailer again, the trailer really plays up some of the characters that, you know, it's a lot of misdirection on where that the story is going to go. So really? I that that's was, interesting. I thought, I thought that was well done. I, I, I appreciated that. I found myself about 20 minutes into the film, like, huh, okay, well, that was, that's interesting. And I'm kind of intrigued on where we're going now. So, um, yeah. so again, I thought the setup was, was good. I enjoyed the first half hour to an hour of this film. I just, uh, I wish it could have, I wish it could have stuck the landing and stuck to its initial script. And really dug into the the topics it was trying to dance around and made it for a more interesting film than just what we got, which is blood and guts and action. So So that could be the tagline. It's just blood, guts, and action. That's the tagline for the movie. <laughs> yes. For the hunt. <laughs> that is the tagline. Put it on the, the back of the, the DVD release case. So uh, if we ever release the DVD, I don't even know if we do that anymore. I think we just go online for films now. So. All right. Well, that is The Hunt, again, directed by Craig Zobel, starring Betty Gilpin and Hilary Swank, written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof. It is available right now, this very minute. Uh, you can go, and I think for now, it is a $20 rental for a 48-hour period. may sound like a lot, but keep in mind, this is basically still a first-run movie that uh, you get two, three people watching it you know, in a family or group. Uh, you made your money back, so it's a, it's a pretty good deal for that. Which yeah, oh, Chris, you, may, you may rent as a family. The one we reviewed last time, Emma, as opposed to renting the hunt for the family. <laughs> so right, yeah, that's true. So yeah, Emma's the same situation. Twenty dollar for forty eight hour rental. We were both much higher on that film in our last review, and definitely one more for a family as opposed true. to the hunt. So right. yeah, that's true. Chris, let's move on to our second review, which is also an online film, uh, debuted online, actually. I don't think it got any theatrical time at all. And that is the film Vivarium. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. Number nine. Number nine is not a starter home. This house is forever. Leave for a boy. Do you have children? No. It's not exactly what we're looking for. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait. No, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Did we just do some kind of loop? How if we just... Want me to drive? Such a jerk. Because I think this is not possible. We can't make turns like this over and over. We have gone this way, Tom. Oh, my God. La, la, la. 
Chris and Vivarium, we have a young couple who's thinking about starting uh, their life together with a new home. To that end, they visit a mysterious real estate agency and who accompanies them to a new, very unique and peculiar housing development to show them a potential new home. And in that process, they actually get trapped in a very surreal, maze-like nightmare. The film is starring Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. Um, directed by Lorcan Finnegan and also written by Lorcan Finnegan as well. Chris, it's an interesting concept. It's a film that really plays on a mind-bending uh, storyline. But my question to you is, after seeing this film, did you have any desire to stay in the community of Yonder a bit longer and explore some more? Or were you wishing you had maybe found a way quicker way out than even our story leads were trying to do on their own? Right. So, you know, it's interesting. Both this and The Hunt are, you know, you could consider to say kind of like real high concept movies. You know, The Hunt had this concept of people being thrown together and being hunted, you know. Um, so this movie, the high concept of these people being stuck kind of in a suburban neighborhood maze labyrinth that they can't get out of and having to endure the mundane things of everyday life and in a way kind of endure being quarantined you might say mm -hmm. um, yeah there was it was a little weird watching this film in the state because things had just kind of hit a peak when we watched it uh right. with quarantine across the country so yeah watching it was a little eerie at that time i'll say that to me um the visuals of the film the production design just the cinematography the music and you know the acting everything was really well put together and made for an interesting visual experience but the problem for me was after the first 20 or 30 minutes, I felt like I'd seen, I should be closing out a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> and instead, there was an additional hour there. Um, because it just, I felt like after it kind of, there's a certain point where, um, I, 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 yeah, I don't want to ruin too much, but I think there's a certain point where after their their kid is grown up, I guess, and then it, because they end up having a kid that they have to try to raise. And I feel like in a way that ends up being nothing more than a red herring, which is probably intentional. Um, but then it's just like nothing new keeps happening. And you're like, yes, I understand this is, you know, rep repetition, but like, it's just not interesting anymore. And for it to be repeated for another 45 minutes or whatever, it just really, 
didn't help. But how? what are your initial thoughts on Vivarium? Well, Chris, you know, you and I, we run a film festival. We have for five years now. We really make a big point to highlight short films. We have a whole night dedicated to profiling short films because honestly, short films don't get have a harder time getting attention. They don't get a lot of, uh, you know, play time, air time. You know, people don't go to a movie theater to watch short films. I mean, there's just not a way to really see them as much. So I'm a big champion for short films. I love the concept. I love the medium. And there are many films I see where I just, I say to myself afterwards, man, if this had been a short film, like 30 minutes or less, it could have been perfect. And Vivarium to me is one of those. It's, I was into the concept. I was on board. I loved the storytelling of what they're trying to say or, or what they were trying to do. But yeah, after about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I'm like, okay, I got it. Uh, I, I understand what the deal of this film is, is, and I know you're trying to show me that it's repetitive and it's monotonous and they're trapped in this nightmare and they want the viewer to kind of feel the same way. Well, I did. And it was not as enjoyable as a viewer. And but also a little disappointing for me is that if you're going to stretch something out to an hour and a half long film, it's got to lead to something. And I felt like the ending of this film, A, the the the, the last couple shots to me, was, I could have predicted that way well, early in the film. And you do predict it after about 30 or 40, you're like, yeah, I bet I know how this is going to end. Yeah, I and knew exactly do. how it was going to end. Yeah. And I guess if you're going to give me an hour and a half film, give me something else meteor for a a resolution and there wasn't. I mean, it really was a, well, for lack of a better term, it just was kind of a rinse repeat cycle that, that it was going to put you through. And so I got to the end of the film. I mean, the last two, three minute scene is exactly what I expected it to be. And I'd hated the fact that I had to wait an extra hour to get to it. So that was a little bit of my disappointment is I just felt like, man, this would have been a great 20, 30 minute short film. It could have hit all the same points. You could have enjoyed all the same production design, everything about it. And the same concept and premise would have worked. But stretching out to an hour and a half, you needed to give us more. And the film just didn't had no interest in doing that. And so you really just walked away a little defeated. I, mean, I felt like, okay, I'm. Yeah, again, not giving away exactly what happens to our two lead characters, but I felt like I was kind of in the same boat with them and I didn't want to be. And <laughs> there was no relief for me as a viewer at all to to go through this story. So, yeah. Sure. Well, and I think, so you take, for example, similar movies. I mean, different in the fact that whole day keeps repeating, but like something like Groundhog Day. And, you know, mm -hmm. these people are kind of trapped in this situation. Things keep repeating. So you see the same thing, but yet they give you, new things of information or somehow the story changes so that your interest is kept. So in this movie, you know, it's not like the day keeps repeating, but their situation, they can't escape this apartment or house townhouse. Number nine is the thing they keep coming back to that. Um, but you don't learn any development you have on the characters, the, the, the couple, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogene Poots. That's, that's like done before you get to the house. <laughs> so in the first, like, five or 10 minutes and then they don't develop. And it's not to say they're not doing a good job acting. I think they are, but just they're not given the script to like develop. So you don't learn anything more about them. The yonder, the, the neighborhood they go into, you kind of know all you know about that within the first 15 minutes, nothing really new kind of develops or nothing, you know, groundbreaking or no big twist or anything. So then you're, yeah, it's just redundant. Um, I will say 
kind of, I feel like he really stole the show for me and I enjoyed seeing him the little bit that he was in it. Uh, there's Jonathan Aris who plays Martin, the real estate agent. I really, really liked him. And the thing oh, is, yeah, from the second you see him in the very beginning, you're like, whoa, this dude, and he plays it so well, like at the real estate office. And then when he's giving him like the tour of the home, it's just so uncanny. And if the rest of the film had been able to live up to that kind of uncanny, slightly off nature that he gave the minutes that he was on screen, it could have really worked for me a lot better. But I agree with you. It kind of falls short and seems to have been a short that was stretched to a feature. Well, and there's no development of the characters, like you said. Um, I don't feel like. And I think they tried to, and it just didn't work. I mean, there's really – you watch this relationship and kind of the rift between them and and, and how how their relationship developed. But, but as characters, I don't feel like they developed at all. Um, there were – And then there- the actual – you know, it's like, okay, so so I get films that want to be like Lost. I mean, we were just talking about The Hunt earlier. You want to have a film where everything's a mystery and you want to unravel little bits of information along the way. You don't have to give away the farm. You don't have to tell everything at the end of what's going on. It's okay to leave things up to the imagination or open interpretation, but you still need to do something to keep the story moving forward. And this film just seems really, really restricted not wanting to do that. Well, and, and it basically gives away everything kind of in the first 15 minutes where like you're saying it doesn't really introduce anything new so then you're like yeah i kind of knew and by the when you see the ending you're like yep i knew that's where this was gonna go so yeah they they actually give away too much in the beginning so right exactly and uh i I, i'm with you i thought the acting was good i thought jesse eisenberg imaging poots i thought were both good and they played the parts they're supposed to play and it was both to have a level of anxiety as well as there were, you know, some, some physical moments for both of them to perform. Yeah. I, again, I thought they were both good. Um, and I will say this film, I'll give some credit to it. Um, beyond just the concept, which I did like and the visuals I thought were also really interesting. Um, seen in Jennings as the young boy, that's just his name in the film. It's bordering on stuff of nightmares for me. So where his, screaming oh that lots was, of moments of screaming that was amazing i love um, that part still kind of sticking with me after oh, just yeah. watching the film so i would say some of those moments are ones that if you were doing a montage of like really creepy disturbing moments from from films it'd be up there i mean it would be some of those moments so, so to elaborate what alan's talking about is you know the stereotypical young infant child like you know probably can't even talk yet or maybe can but when they're unhappy they just scream and like cry or something so as this baby that they're given you know has grown up and it grows up really rapid um yeah he gets to this point where anytime his parents say something he doesn't like he just does this really high-pitched ear-piercing scream and it is so disturbing <laughs> and yeah, you like it really is well, and plus they do something with his voice early on where he's a young boy, but he sounds like an older man mimicking the parents. And all of those scenes are just probably my favorite moments in the movie had to do with just that little kid and some of the the creepy stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. But again, it doesn't really lead to anything. I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere. So that's that was just the challenge for me is I think it had some really interesting moments, I think visually and those creepy moments with the young kid. But. Uh, it just didn't build to anything satisfactory at all. Um, 
I'd agree. Not saying again, I needed an ending. I didn't need a closure. I didn't need everything explained. I just needed something to lead to something. And I just, again, the last two or three minutes, I think the filmmakers thought this would be the big twist and the big reveal. But again, you figure it out 15, 20 minutes into the film, you know exactly what the last shot's going to be of this thing. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. And I was hoping for something a little different. So There's a point made where Jesse Eisenberg's character, Tom, um, starts to dig in the front yard. And his wife kind of confronts him. He's like, why are you doing this? He said, because it's something I can do. And it was like, mm-hmm. and I thought that was kind of an interesting commentary. People struggling with things and going out and venting their frustration, irritation, their feeling of being trapped. And knowing it's probably not getting them anywhere, but they have to have this like outlet and then it becomes an obsession for him. So that was an interesting avenue. But like you're saying with all the other aspects of the film, I wish it could have been better developed. Well, you kind of, I'm kind of left the film. And again, I, I understand some films are purely entertainment based and some films are meant to convey a message or a vision or a concept that the filmmaker has. This is one where I know there's supposed to be a concept. I know there's supposed to be a message. I know the filmmaker's trying to tell us something. I'm having a hard time really wrestling with exactly what that is and if it's done anywhere close to good or not. Because you could argue going into this film, yes, by the description and what we've talked about, there's an argument about the idea of suburbia and everybody looking the same and everybody living a very similar routine life and it's day in, wake up take care of your kid, go to sleep, you know, work, work, work. But by the end of the film, the question for me is, okay, so are you saying that's all bad? Because, okay, I, I, I understand if, if I was subjected to the world that these two characters were put into, yes, that would be bad, but that's not typical suburban life. So it's like, what are you trying to say? What is the messaging here with this film? If you're going to go for a message movie, give me something to hang on to by the end. All I got out of this is that, Life is recycled and over and over again, but I, I don't really know how that bears any merit or really is meant to convey anything to the viewer. So yeah, it was it was a. I think the the point of the film is kind of hard to nail down, and the only thing you, you're just left with a really you know numb feeling, and obviously it's kind of kind of depressing, kind of a, kind of a dark film. Yeah. Well, and again, that's why I think you mentioned Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, these type of concept, these kind of shows, that's been their whole point is we're just going to tell you an interesting premise and set up an interesting story and give you a little interesting resolution within 20 to 30 minutes. And that's why this film would have been perfect for that. Because again, you didn't have to explain everything. I didn't need to see a lot of character development in 20 minutes. Just give me the concept. Give me the idea. Show me the creepy kid. Um, and I'm good. I'm pretty good after 30 minutes. Right. Um, if you're going to give, give me an hour and a half feature film, there's got to be more meat on the bones. And this one just really didn't seem interested in giving that. So, Mm, well, that's Vivarium. Again, I'm, 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 I'm going to say mixed on it to slightly negative in that I feel like it's at least, you know, we're in a whole nother world now where people are at home and have a lot more time possibly for the next few weeks to, watch things and just explore things. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch this film because I think there's some interesting visuals and there's some interesting moments and the creepy young kid is worth watching, but just don't go in expecting a fully formed hour and a half long film that is enjoyable. I think uh, it's more for moments than anything, but 
Yeah, I think I'm Agreed. on the same page. Yeah. Okay. All right. So unfortunately, Chris, I feel like we're our two reviews, some very similar criticisms we have in that uh, both of them, some interesting premises, both of them interesting concepts. And I think there's a lot they could have done with it, but both of them fell into a trap, the hunt falling into a very much a, just action driven, gory, violent uh, festival. And Vibarium was so hung up on this concept. It forgot to give us anything more beyond just the concept. So um disappointments on both sides but at least there's some some entertainment value on both ends yeah and i think interesting thing for me is um i knew very little the very little about vivarium because like you said it hadn't been released you know when you and i saw it it was kind of you know it was still new didn't have a theatrical release whereas the hunt i'd heard a lot about and if you were to just ask me prior to seeing both of the films which one i thought i would like better i would have said oh there's no doubt i'll i think vivarium is going to be amazing mm-hmm. and uh I actually prefer the hunt if I had to pick, like if I had to recommend one over the other, I'd probably say, well, you know, the hunt has its flaws. It's really violent, you know, doesn't nail everything it's trying to go after, but I would recommend it over a variant, which I never would have thought I would have said. I'm I'm with you on that. The the hunt was at least had some more fun to it and had some more entertainment value to it. Vivarium just felt more like a chore um, as a, of a film. And Again, not saying that that's a bad thing for a film if you've got something you want to say through that chore, but I don't feel like Vivarium had much to say in the end. So you feel like you're doing chores for an hour and a half and it just, there's no allowance. <laughs> you know, there was nothing at the end for that chore you just spent an hour and a half doing as a kid. You know, it's just, that's right. what I felt like we're missing there. All right. I, I would agree. I think that's a great way to sum it up. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our two film reviews. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got some news, the only news we could really scrounge up and talk about with the film business these days. And then Chris and I are both going to give a recommendation of a film that you can watch from your own home that we uh, feel like is worth checking out if uh, if you're so inclined. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV. We will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV. This is the quarantine edition of Foot Candle Films. Chris and I, both from the comforts of our own homes or home offices. Chris, you got a nice uh, Got a nice bookshelf thing going on back behind you. It was very nice. You got a nice, uh, I like your whole setup in there. So uh, if nothing else through this whole experience, we are all getting to see what the inside of each other's houses look more like, <laughs> right? It's true. So, it's just true. Yeah. So we take some, we take some positives from the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, you know, we normally like to hit some news items or talk about some trailers for upcoming films or talk about upcoming film projects that could be good sounding. I don't have a lot to share this time. I'll hit some notes, but I tell you, the uh, the film business, the film business world has kind of dried up. And understandably, when you've got theaters that are closed for an indefinite amount of period, uh, period of time, a lot of films are looking at either shifting their release schedule or some of them punting and just going to disperse their film online. Um, it does make for some interesting times. Kind of carrying on what we talked about the last time, last episode we had, Chris, there are a few more high-profile films that have now gotten officially moved. Okay. And, uh, I, I know with all of these, you are, you're extremely disappointed that you're not going to get to see these films for a lot longer. I just, uh-huh. I know you. 
Okay. So, Chris, are you sitting down? Yes, I am. You might want to have a stiff drink with you because I know this one's going to hit you hard. I'm trying to okay. imagine what this one might be. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yeah. Is now going to be a Christmas film. I mean, what says Christmas better <laughs> than Tom Cruise? I, I, I personally, I'm, no, listen, personally, I'm disappointed because I was looking forward to seeing that this summer. And uh, it has got moved. It is now going to be a December 23rd release. So that's now our Christmas viewing. So, uh, so will they like wonder CGI, what film to CGI Christmas like Day? a Santa hat on top of the jets as they're flying around and he'll like disperse yeah, exactly. gifts out of the back of his plane? They've got time to re-edit the film to put in a more wintry theme to it. Uh, no, it's a is a Christmas film now. That one, that one, honestly, I'm, I'm I joke about it for you because I know you're not terribly too uh, anxious to see the film. Me personally, I am. So that is a disappointment for me. I can't imagine it's going to be good. I mean, just can't imagine, Sarah. But maybe it will. Maybe I don't know. I'll be so I, desperate to see a film, a new I feel film. Like it will be. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. Well, so another one. Hmm? No, go ahead. I was going to say another film that is seeing a a big delay. Um, This one I'm very mixed on. You and I have talked about it before. We saw the trailer. I think we even talked about the trailer maybe during one of our film uh, reviews discussions. Um, And we're both big, big fans of the original, but we're really unsure what this is going to be. The Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, the one that's being directed by um, Ramis's son. Um, what's his name? Uh-oh, I forgot. <laughs> oh, no. Did I just space on the director's name? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, Reitman. Reitman's son. Uh, not Ivan Reitman, Jason Reitman. There we go. See, here in my home, I don't have the wealth of knowledge around me <laughs> in the studio that I normally have all the information at my fingertips. Gotcha. Um, Ghostbusters Afterlife was supposed to come out July 10th. It's now going to be March 5th, 2021. So it's going back about nine months later. And again, what all these films are having to do is they're saying, look, when we were planning to release, when we thought we were going to get the maximum box office return for it, and there was less competition with other films opening that same weekend or the weekend before or weekend after. Now they're all having to scramble. I'm going to go ahead and tell you next March, 2021, it's going to be a big freaking month for movies because everybody seems to be moving to that spring period if they're not moving to late in the year. So we're losing out on all these summer movies, but we're going to get everything in Christmas. And then starting in March, the new summer season for 2021 is going to start in March with all these films coming out. Because wow. um, along with Ghostbusters Afterlife, another one, I know you are, you got the poster on your wall. You're ready for this film. It is Morbius starring Jared Leto. Man, um, not even the trailer for that looks good. That looks oh, no, it looks horrible. Terrible. I'm not excited at all. It was going to be July 31st. It's now going to be March 19th, 2021. So it's going to be weird going through a summer season without big movies yeah. being released. You know, and whether you like the big blockbusters or not, you got to admit, it's going to be an odd thing to not have a lot of big blockbuster movies over the next three months, four months. Um, Do you think there's any chance that once theaters are able to start opening back up that maybe they'll maybe some movies will like kind of go back on their schedules and go ahead and like push them out early. I don't know. Like, I, like, I almost, let's, say, I, let's, let's say 
things are a-okay starting in June. And some people that had bumped out as far as to say, hey, we can still drop a movie in this summer. Nothing else is going to be there. So let's go ahead and put out Wonder Woman 1984 because there's a chance. I don't that think it, they will. You don't think they will? I, don't think, I think once they announce these new dates and they push it out, that's it. They're locked in. That's where all their marketing efforts going to go. That's where everything's planned to kind of come backwards and say, oh, now we can release it now. I don't see a movie studio doing that because then they have to go back and change all their marketing again. They got to move things back. They don't have as much of a runway to to market it. Unfortunately, I just think even if movie theaters open up in let's say June, which I don't think is going to happen, unfortunately, even if they open back up in June, I don't see big blockbusters coming back in in July and saying, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll go back to these dates again." I just don't think that's going to happen. Even though the films are already ready, it's not like they're not they're they're finished. They're done. Yeah, but it's all about how much time to market it. Because you know, right now, Wonder Woman was getting a buildup of marketing. They were getting ready for a May release. Now they've moved that back. So you don't see any more advertising for Wonder Woman right now. They're like, we're not going to advertise it for May anymore because it's going to be, I forget when they said, November? Maybe August? I don't remember when. Yeah, which They'll start ramping it up before that new date, and that's when they're going to do it. So, um I wonder if you know, I feel like if they if they came up and released Wonder Woman a few weeks after theaters opened, they'd only have a couple weeks of marketing time to promote it. So then you lose some of that attention. But if you're the only ball game in town, if you're the only movie in in the theater, well, you have, no, that could be All right. That's your point. You know, Tiger I mean, as long as you got a two to three week window to tell everybody about it that hey, we're gonna we're gonna be the first one back in the movie theater, uh, could be. And I think there's still some high-profile movies that are set to be in late summer that are probably just hanging on right now to say, look, let's try to stick with our date because if theaters do open, we could be one of the first games in town back for right. that. So it's, it's, it's a tough spot. I mean, it's got to be a tough spot for movie studios to figure this out. It's a really tough spot for movie theaters because uh, reports are going on right now. The biggest chain in America, AMC, is on the verge of bankruptcy. They only had enough cash to really support themselves for a few months with no revenue coming in. And that's what's happening. They have no revenue coming in at all. And, uh, you know, they, it still costs money to keep the business active and to pay rent on the theaters and uh, keep your executives around and all that. And they're they're doing everything they can. But I, unless the movie theater business comes roaring back in July, I don't, I don't see how these theaters make it. So Something, something other... Sure. Something else that I think would be interesting is smaller independent films that don't have these huge marketing budgets. And some people honestly don't even know they exist until they show up at their local art theater. And they're like, oh, you know, Jesse Eisenberg is in a movie and they go see it. You know, um, He was in the social network. I kind of like that. I'll go see this. You know? um, I wonder if smaller independent films will actually have a chance at getting into the big theater because when they open back up, if the big movies aren't coming out until March, they want to show something on their screens. So I wonder if some smaller independent films that otherwise would have gone straight to VOD or straight to Netflix, even if they'll have a chance at maybe getting a shot at a bigger screen, I guess time will tell. Maybe the problem is the window is going to be pretty short because by fall and winter, you've got a backlog of big budget films now packing in the theater. So you actually squeeze out any room for any independent film at that point. I think the better bet is right now for the next three months, there's very few films coming out at all. 
So if I'm an independent filmmaker and granted, I got to go digital, I can't go to a movie theater, but if I've got a chance to go digital and maybe command a little bit of attention and audience for it that I wouldn't have had if new movies were coming out online for the next few months, new big movies, Mm -hmm. because they had already had their theatrical run. That's the weird thing. And then I don't know, just the timing of everything's a little off. And it's, I, I think it's a, it's a tough business to be in right now. Probably. I know people say restaurants are really hard hit and they are, but the difference with a restaurant is that you can shut down the restaurant. Restaurants are generally a one single building. You can like lay off your staff and then be ready to come back up as long as you can keep the business property around and keep, you know, the, the bare minimum. People will start going back to restaurants before they'll start going back to, to movie theaters, I feel like. Because at least with a, a restaurant, you know, people are a little more spaced out with tables and all that. You can still do delivery. You can still do pickup and all that. Movie theaters, it's based on one concept. You get a whole bunch of people in crowded into a room sitting together to watch a movie together for two hours. That's going to be the business. I think that's going to be the slowest to come back online because of that. Sure. And then possibly concerts and theater plays and those same things. Because um, they have no other source of revenue. Right. You know, there's no other way for them to make money. Unlike a restaurant, at you least take you can out. delivery, take out, yeah. all that. Um, so anyway, it's just, it's tr- it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. Agreed. Okay. Do you want to go on to something positive? Can we sure. talk positive? <laughs> yes, let's do I know that was getting a little negative, a little, little, little deep there. Um, we both like Edgar Wright. Correct? Yes, we do. Okay, good. So Edgar Wright, uh, last film he did was Baby Driver? I believe so, yes. Okay. And we talked about a while back in our new segment about projects coming up that he does have a film that is still set to release in 2020. I think later in the year, though. And it's called Last Night in Soho. Uh, And it is starring Anya Taylor-Joy who was in Emma that we talked about the last episode. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a psychological thriller of some sort, which is kind of exciting because he's never done a film like that in that type of genre. So it'll be a little different for him to see. So I'm excited about the film. Um, it's still got a September 25th release date. All right, that's a perfect example of a film that if they stick to it and the theaters are open by September, it'll get probably a bigger a bigger audience than it would have otherwise um, because there's not going to be such a crowded field anymore. Right. Um, but what I wanted to talk about in the news section, though, is that he's already announced another film that he's going to start working on, because I believe last night in Soho may already be just completely done, ready to go. Okay. Um, he's got a film coming out, or he'll be working on, that is one of the few that he did not write the film. Normally, he's a writer for a lot of his film work. This one will not be one he writes. Uh, it's uh, written by Simon Stevenson, who is adapting... Who, who's writing a novel. Now, the novel's not even out yet, which is kind okay. of funny. So Edgar Wright, supposedly, though, already knows, you know, obviously knows the, the novel, knows the story, already opted to adapt it, even before the novels come out to the public. And the film is going to be titled, or at least the novel is titled, Set My Heart to Five. So it is about a humanoid robot who watches a film and is so moved by it that he decides to become a screenwriter. Nice. So you have a robot screenwriter. I'm sure there's going to be some meta commentary about the art of writing movies and making movies in a film like this. I don't know if the tone is going to be comedic or if it's going to be more dramatic. Don't know yet. But um, I did. It was encouraging, at least to see Edgar Wright. Not only he's got one in the can ready to come out later this year, but looks like he's already uh, working on a plan for the film after that, too. 
uh, again, one of the very few filmmaker stories I have to share about films that are under, in development and people are talking about, but that's what we got. Sound anything interest to you? Any of those stories? Oh yeah. I'm always interested in what Edgar Wright's doing. Um, so the idea of that movie, I mean, not only because it's Edgar Wright doing it, but the fact that there sounds like there's meta commentary possibilities going on there, I think it'll be interesting. And to me, um, when we had the kind of about art, artificial intelligence, we had Spike Jones with her, with Joaquin Phoenix. I was kind of let down with that. Um, so I'll be interested to see. It's a different type thing, but it's about artificial intelligence deciding to start creating their own, like a ro- you know a, a robot starting to become a screenwriter. Like, <laughs> but it seems like that that's going to be right in my wheelhouse. So yeah, that that's exciting. Way to way to end things on a good note there. Hey, I told you I had some good news to share. No, I'm very excited about these. I, you know, I, I think you and I both shared the idea that we were a little let down with Betty, Baby Driver, especially the, the latter half of the film. We felt like just was not very strong. But uh, I still tell um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World is still one of my favorites. Uh, of course, you got the uh, the trilogy with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are all great films too. So I mean. This is a, it's a great filmmaker and I'm just going to be interested to see what he does. And I love the idea of him doing some different genre things than maybe what we've seen him do before. Um, so anyway, should be fun. And I hope his September 25th release date sticks for last night in Soho. That'd be a nice film to maybe return to the movie theaters with who knows. We'll see. All right, Chris. Well, that's all the news I have. Again, normally we have some more things to talk about, but today it's a little bit of a unique situation. So we're just going to go with what we have and move on to our last portion of the show where we do both give a recommendation. This is our online available for home viewing recommendation of a film that either we just caught up with recently or maybe we had a chance to revisit recently or for whatever reason, something that we recall from the past, a film that we think is worth checking out. The only requirement is it has to be a film available online. Luckily, nowadays, that is all the options we have. So that's what we're going to be recommending. True. So Chris, why don't you go ahead and recommend your film for us this, this episode? Sure. So I'm going to recommend the latest movie from Pixar. It's called Onward. And it has the voices of Chris Pratt, Tom Holland, Julie Louise Dreyfus, Octavia Spencer. So, you know, normal type people that, you know, come in and do famous people will come in and do voices for an animated movie. And this one is takes the idea of it's kind of in a fantasy world that has become more suburban and they use cell phones now. Fairies fly in planes as opposed to flying or centaurs drive cars as opposed to galloping down the street. So it's that whole like everyone's become kind of lazy or whatever and the magic's gone out of the world. But these two brothers being the characters played by Chris Pratt and Tom Holland uh, embark on a quest to see if they can still find magic out there and kind of reunite themselves with their father who passed away when they were young. So it's, you know, kind of tugs heartstrings in the places you would expect. But um, I liked it. I thought it was good. It was kind of the perfect dose of escapism that quarantine I needed from my quarantine. And I will say, um, total Pixar, like, imagination comes with a, I guess for lack of a better term, like a battle scene at the end with something the brothers must confront together. And the realization of what that thing is and how it's done was just really, really cool. Like that there would have made like, if they would have just done that battle, would have made like a perfect short film or whatever. You know, talking about how sometimes ideas are encapsulated better as shorts. But um, I enjoyed Onward. 
You can rent it uh, from like iTunes, but if you have Disney Plus, which a lot of people do right now, um, it's actually free on Disney Plus right now. So you can just see it for free. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I uh, I will echo your your recommendation. I caught up with it as well, and did find myself liking it. I'm I'm someone who's kind of uh, warmed uh, over on on Pixar films in the last several years. Uh, I was a huge fan of their early set of films, and I just felt like after a while it started to feel a little too formulaic, or didn't quite feel as inspired some of their films. And I will say, I don't feel like this quite reaches the heights of some of the the original Toy Story or the original The Incredibles or some of those. But I generally had a really good time with this film. And I think part of it is I, I, I the concept of the magical world, the uh, knights and monsters and dragons and some of that and quests. And it, it's kind of in my wheelhouse. So I have something I'm kind of like anyway. And I love the fact that a film was made out of that concept. And I like the two lead actors with Tom Holland and uh, Chris Pratt. The other guy. That's <laughs> right. There you go. Um, so, yeah, I, I did have a good time with the film. Yeah, it was a little predictable. It was a little formulaic. But I liked the style, the look, and the way they told the storytelling involved. Uh, and the characters are, just like with any Pixar film, are, are normally all great. So uh, I did. We watched this as a family. We had a really good time with it. It was good. Um Got a little dusty a few yeah. times in, the, in my house, which is weird. Normally, it's just dusty in the theater, but somehow that same kind of dust that got into my eyes in a theater that I go to see somehow made it to my house too. I don't really understand how that how that happened, but uh, um, it got yeah. me. So yeah, it was a good film. Yeah, I will say, like you're, you've mentioned, it's. I'm not saying it's top tier Pixar, which is kind of hard to break into that with things like Toy Story and Incredibles, but it was good and it was a pleasant escape. Um, so you know it's it's worth seeing i some of the things that i guess you there are two things i'll say uh you mentioned how it kind of references role-playing games and things like that the fantasy type stuff um and quests and stuff like that if it could have i don't know made it leaned into it a little more and maybe made some references that were kind of a little more complicated or something rather than just using that as a slight framing device maybe the adult in me would have appreciated it more and then I'll lend it, even though I'm still recommending it, I will say <laughs> um, something that I saw a critic online, Scott Tobias, who I'm a big fan of. He's like, onward, okay, but was Jack Black too busy to do Chris Pratt's part? And I was like, oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> that was, because you think of the type of character that, that Chris Pratt's playing and like this loud, heavy metal, kind of like brash, kind of obnoxious, but has a heart of gold. Like, Jack well, Black. and also what someone who really positions himself as this big noble hero too, right. which is very much a Jack Black thing. So yeah, it would have been perfect. You're yeah, right. Would, would have been, been amazing. Perfect, perfect but I guess, pairing. you know, if you think about it, uh, Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are on the Disney payroll for the Avengers movies and stuff. So like, they're like, oh, well, we'll do Onward. So they were like probably already on the lot and could just go into a voice booth and like read the voices and then walk out. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I, th I thought they both were good. I, the, again, I thought the film was good. I enjoyed it. had a, had a good time with it. Uh, my recommendation, Chris, is a film that I know you've seen, and it was one that got a lot of buzz last year when it was released. Uh, did not make it to the round of best foreign film nominations, which was actually kind of surprising to a lot of people, because this is one that a lot of critics had at the top of their list for for one of the best films of the year. 
I finally had a chance to catch up with it. And it is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, directed by Celine Shiyama and also written by Shalama as well. As well. Um, in 18th century France, France, a young painter named Marianne is brought in and hired to do a wedding portrait of Heloise without, without Heloise knowing about it. Heloise has had some issues and is not happy about the marriage. It's an arranged marriage. And plus her sister had just died recently too, and she was still in mourning for that. So she did not want to be painted for this marriage portrait. So therefore, uh, Heloise's mother hires her to paint the picture, but yet without Heloise knowing about it. So Marianne has to become her friend to be able to spend time with her during the day and then paint her portrait at night. So we follow the relationship between these two characters. And um, I will say about this film, uh, I I really did appreciate it, did enjoy it. Uh, It's beautiful film to look at, both with costuming, with location, even though 75% of it takes place in their house, their manor, their mansion. uh, It's still just the production design around it. It's very interesting. It's very sparse rooms, very sparse space. Um, And you're meant to believe that there really are only, I think, four people in this entire castle mansion building that it is. And you really get the sense of that. But what's the most striking for me are all the cliffside and beach shots as well are really uh, interesting and and beautiful to see. I thought the acting was great. I thought the ending shot uh, is one of the better ending shots I've seen in a while in a film. So overall, it was it worked. I think it was a very realistic portrayal of a, a budding relationship uh, between two people. Um, and it got to the coda, kind of the ending part where you would have expected it to maybe end on a certain note and they don't want to give that quite to you. Instead, we have a really powerful shot. I think at an opera or a play right. uh, across the way between two people. And it just, it was, it was really well done. So it's just a well-done film, well-made film, a romantic film while at the same time, uh, a tragic film to some degree. So um, I, I liked it quite a bit. You and I didn't really get a chance to talk about this film, Chris. I know you've seen it though. What, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I liked it. I thought there were several moments that kind of stick with me from it. There's the end sequence that you're talking about that has an opera and also a visit to an art museum that are pretty pretty powerful. Um, there's a scene on, the, on a beach where there's all this singing going on that kind of starts from out of nowhere. And then that kind of, that's also very memorable. So I liked it. Um, I will say at the time I saw it, it was unfortunate in that I'd seen Parasite first <laughs> and then I'd seen this film. So when I saw this film, I thought it was good. But in my mind, all I was thinking about was like nominees for the Academy Awards. And I was like, oh, you know, Parasite, Parasite. And then when they announced them, I was kind of shocked though because Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I'd heard a lot of critical buzz and I'd watched it and thought it was good. And for it not to receive anything was shocking. But then end all be all, I was just so focused on Parasite. I probably didn't give portrait of a lady on fire it's true do so i should you know now that it's available online for people to see i should probably give it another give it another shot so it it is good and i will say it's uh, if you're a hulu subscriber it is free on hulu so you can actually actually see it for free which is how i saw it okay and um so that's good hulu has a really started adding on some high class uh, criterion uh, level films into their library. So I don't know if that's intentional or just kind of uh, in the last uh, couple months that they've just lucked up on a few, a few projects, but 
there's one in particular. I, I'm, unfortunately, I don't have the note in front of me. This is something that just occurred to me here, but um, I just know that that's something where they have brought on some really interesting films recently. So this is part of their collection. Now, again, as a Hulu subscriber, you, uh, you get to see this and yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I was trying to pull it up here on my computer to see what other films they brought on and I can't recall one, but actually I think, I think the thing is they're a distributor now for Neon, which does Parasite and which does Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So I think both of those might be available on Hulu. I think. Mm. I think that's what it. That could be what it is. Anyway, I'm not going to have everybody just sit here and wait for me to <laughs> to finish looking up and seeing what film I was referring to. I'm trying really hard. I've got it pulled up and I'm looking. I'm saying, what is that film? Anyway, there are some other really good films that Hulu have put up in their library. So. Anyway, if you're a subscriber, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is free to you. If you're not a subscriber, I, you know you can rent it or purchase it on any any digital platform right now as well. I believe. I'm pretty sure you can still buy it and rent it even if uh, if, you, if you don't have Hulu. So, all right. Well, that is our recommendation. So, Chris recommending the Pixar film Onward. I recommended uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We both had our reviews of The Hunt and of Vivarium. Uh, strangely enough, both of us liking The Hunt better than we did Vivarium, uh, although both films have some flaws and things that we wish they would have fulfilled some expectations and promises of. Uh, and then we talked about some movie releases that are being shifted back, as well as we talked about a couple of projects coming up for Mr. Edgar Wright. So with that, Chris, we're going to wrap up this episode, this quarantine edition. Don't know how many more of these we'll be doing remotely like this. It could be a few more. We'll, we'll wait and see what, what's happening. But in the meantime, people might have a little more time on their hands to ask questions or give us their own recommendations. So how, how could they do that if they were so inclined? You can do that by sending us an email to info at the mesh.tv. And I'll actually throw out, you know, we'll probably in the coming episodes more likely be, you know, talking about movies that are obviously for purchase online. But if there's a classic film that you think Alan and I should revisit or maybe visit, depending on whether or not we've seen it, and you feel like that would be a good one that would warrant discussion on the show, go ahead and throw that title out to us in an email because we'll, we'll consider it because, you know, options are rather limited right now. So feel free to throw that out. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film, and we're both on Letterboxd tracking what we're seeing, and that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, somewhere where we kind of keep somewhat track of the movies we're watching. So you can follow us. I hate to be that guy that kind of refers back to something I was trying to remember earlier in the show, but here it is. Uh, So the film that ironically enough that Hulu just added to their library that ironically enough, because you mentioned it is parasite parasite just got added to Hulu. So if you're a Hulu subscriber, you now get parasite as well as portrait of a lady on fire, two of the, uh, higher, higher reviewed uh, foreign films from last year. So interesting. All right, great. Well, we're going to go and wrap it up then. Thank you so much for listening. I hope everybody's staying safe and healthy out there. Uh, and in the meantime, while we don't have the movie theaters to go and uh, get our entertainment, we will certainly do our best to keep uh, talking about some movies you can see uh, from the comfort of your own home during these very unique times. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line once theaters are open at a safe social distance. Watch films in the company of like-minded people in the dark. Watch films in the underground. We won't let anyone know where you are. The films that don't
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.